I'm going to be reading first from Luke chapter 12, Gospel of Luke, very short passage, verses 32 through 34. Jesus' words, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to tell you a story that I heard about the lone survivor who was shipwrecked on a deserted island. And this man was marooned for years, and he gave up hope of being rescued. But one day, he heard some yelling coming from the water, and once you know it, here's another man swimming towards him uh, into shore. And the first man was telling the newcomer, he says, I'm so glad you made it. I've been so lonely here for so long, but I have to tell you, there is no hope of us ever being rescued. I've been here for years. I've never seen a single ship. And the second man, the newcomer who just arrived, said, oh, don't worry, we'll be rescued any minute now. And the first man said, I don't think you heard what I said. We are thousands of miles from civilization. We have no hope of ever being rescued. And again, the newcomer, the second man said, no, no, we're going to be rescued very soon. And so the first guy says, well, how can you be so sure? And the second guy says, well, first of all, you know, I'm a millionaire. Second of all, I want you to know I tied my income. And third, this is stewardship season, and the church is doing next year's budget. They'll find me. <laughs> Believe me, they'll find me. Well, today, we are looking at a parable of Jesus that helps us better explain and understand the idea of Christian giving. I'd like to try to set this parable that I'm going to share with you in a few moments in today's kind of context. So a CEO one day calls three of his personal assistants into his fancy corner office, like in one of the tall buildings in downtown Lancaster, and on this, his desk are three stacks of money. He says, gentlemen, I'm going on a business trip. I'm going to be gone for about six months. I want to see how you do managing some of our company's assets while I'm away. So he turns to each of these thirty dollars to $40,000 a year employees and says, to you, I'm giving $5 million. To you, I'm giving $2 million. To you, I'm giving $1 million. Good luck, gentlemen. With that, he gets up. He walks out of his office. He walks down to the curb. He gets in his limo. He heads to the airport, and he hops on his private plane to places unknown. What will these employees do with that money? Let's find out. As I read to you our second scripture reading today from Matthew's Gospel, it's the 25th chapter, and I'll be reading It's a long parable, but it's worth it. A great story of Jesus, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. Jesus says this, for it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, 
I've made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I've made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you are a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance." But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. A little hard to say, but would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we pray that you would help us now make sense of this story that you're telling that you would uh, give us the ears to hear what you want to say to us right now, um, the wisdom, the capacity to understand, and God, a, a faith that goes beyond that, and more than anything, God, give us the courage to uh, use our talents for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So these uh, three employees uh, manage their portfolios in radically different ways. Um, two of them, as you know, take huge risks. I mean, how else are you going to double your money unless you take some chances? And so with their in, uh, master's money, they invest it in some kind of Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, uh, uh, electronic cash company or some such thing. And, and sure enough, they double their master's money. But the third servant says, you know, <laughs> I don't know, this is my master's money. I don't really trust the NASDAQ. In fact, even a money market seems too risky to me. I think I'm going to do the prudent thing, take that $1 million, put it in a paper bag, and tuck it under my mattress. But then he thinks, wait a minute, the house could catch on fire. It could burn to the ground. I think I'll just bury it in a hole in the backyard. Time goes by. The master comes back, and he calls each of those employees into his office. To servant, number one, to servant number one, he says, nice work, you doubled my money. To servant number two, he says, nice work, you doubled my money. To both, he says, you heard me read it. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. In other words, come and share your master's happiness. So here's a question for you. What do you think brought out the best in those first two servants? I think it was their master's high expectations. You and I will, will push ourselves to the nth degree in order to meet high expectations. There's something almost magical about uh, uh, being in a place where the leader has high expectations, and even if that reward for us may be more work, it's still something we feel like we want to do. 
because the first two servants receive their talents and they think, you know, my master believes in me. He has confidence in me. So I want to go off. I want to meet those expectations that he has for me. So out they go, wheeling and dealing with their master's money. I don't know. I think this parable sort of celebrates the kind of person who is a gun-ho, go-for-it, pedal-the-metal kind of person who wants to do great things for God. And people like this that I'm talking about, they will recklessly throw caution to the wind because they're willing to gamble in order to expand the master's kingdom. So here's another question for you. Are you using the resources that God has entrusted to you to expand the master's kingdom and his influence in the world? If you say yes, then how are you doing? Is it kind of a tentative, half-hearted, feeble, unsure, unsteady, or is it with passion and enthusiasm because of the confidence that the master has in you? There are plenty of places in Scripture where Jesus warns us about having a love for money, worldly success, an obsession with material possessions. But you know, as we investigate this story, there's another sin that sort of emerges on the scene. It's a sin that we don't talk about a whole lot in the church. It's the sin of wimpiness, wimpiness. And this leads us to servant number three. Because he takes that dirty brown paper bag and he plops it right on the master's desk. And he says, here it is. Here's your million dollars. I didn't do anything crazy like lend it to my friends. I didn't get involved in any flaky investment schemes. You can count it up. It's all there. Here's the twist in the story. The master goes ballistic. He says, do you mean to tell me you didn't even put the money in an interest-bearing savings account where it could have earned a lousy 1%, half a percent? What in the world were you thinking? How are we to make sense of the story of Jesus? Well, what's interesting to me is that people back in Jesus' day would have thought that servant number three did the right thing. In Jesus' day, burying money in the backyard was legal and it was quite common. In fact, if you buried your money in the ground within 24 hours of receiving it, you were freed from any liability if it were lost or stolen. So Jesus hears of the story are probably thinking, yeah, servant number three, that's, that's, the, that's the prudent thing to do. That's the wise thing to do. Well, about 100 years after Matthew wrote his gospel, there was an apocryphal gospel. It's called the Gospel of the Nazarene. And it appeared on the scene, we think, about 160 A.D., it did not make it into canon scripture. It is not one of the 66 books of the Bible because it was not deemed reliably authentic. But in the parable, in the Gospel of the Nazarene, the story is the, sta- is the same story right up into the point of the actions of the third servant. But instead of burying his talent, this passage says he squandered his master's money with harlots and flute players. That's a bit hard on flute players, don't you think? (laughs) But if you're thinking about it, you can almost see the logic in them altering the story because this apocryphal passage provides a reason why the third servant was punished. They changed the story to justify his punishment, that it would seem more appropriate 
for him to be cast out into the outer darkness where there be weeping and gnashing teeth because of his selfishness, because of his wanton wastefulness. Friends, you don't have to go as so far as to waste your master's money in harlots and in flute players. But whenever we fail to do something creative or productive with the resources that God has given us, guess what? We fall under the judgment of the master. God holds us accountable to make the most of whatever it is that God has given to us. It's kind of like the man whose wife came to him and his wife said, honey, I kind of hear a funny noise coming from underneath the hood of the car. Could you check and see what the problem is? And he looked at her and said, what do I look like, Mr. Goodwrench? Well, a little later on, the washing machine was acting up, and she says, honey, could you, could you check on the washing machine when, when you get a minute? He looked at her and said, well, what do I look like, the Maytag repairman? Well, this time she got the message, because the next week, the sink got clogged, Instead of going to her husband, she went next door to this very handsome bachelor with drop-dead good looks, pearly white teeth, and a body like Mr. America. And she said, excuse me, my kitchen sink is clogged. Would you be willing to come over and fix it? And he said, oh, absolutely. And so he brought over his toolbox, and he unclogged the woman's sink. Then the man said, now for my reward, I either want a cake or a kiss. Well, later on, the woman was recounting the story to her husband and he asked very nervously and of course you gave him the cake right and she said back to him what do I look like Betty Crocker (laughs) you know even if you have one measly lousy talent God says either you use it or you lose it so every single gift to this church matters in the economy of God it's not necessarily the amount or the size of the gift that matters the most What matters the most is the attitude of your hearts. And so later on this month, as I said, when I was giving the announcements at the beginning of the service, we're going to have a congregational meeting where we will present to you the 2022 budget, our hopes and dreams for this next coming year. So why didn't servant number three use his talent? Why do you think he buried it in the backyard? We get the answer in verse 25. Servant number three says, I was afraid. Well, what was he afraid of? I mean, his boss just gave him a million dollars. It seems like here's a guy whose life is dominated by fear. Like the paranoid who said, oh, those leaves aren't falling, they're being pushed. The fatal flaw in this man is that he really did not know his master. He didn't know his boss. His boss gives him a million dollars, and yet he's still afraid of him. And I kind of think that's why Jesus told this parable. To sort of show us how fear can paralyze our soul. We we become so scared of the conditions around us that it just freezes us in our tracks and we wind up doing nothing. Now, since I've been here, I have to tell you, I'm very impressed, really impressed with the level of talent in this church. But the question still becomes, are we using it or are we burying it in the backyard? As someone has said, it's my sermon title for today, fear gives us cirrhosis of the giver. I worked on that all week again. You know, I never get credit for these things. And I just want to let you know, that's not as easy as it sounds to put that. Okay. 
So what do we worry about? You know, we worry about gas prices. We worry about the economy. We worry about our 401k becoming a 201k. We worry about how in the world we're going to ever send our kid to college. We worry about if we're going to have enough for retirement. We worry, we worry, we worry, we worry. So we think, gosh, I better take this talent and bury it in the backyard. God, God calls us to take risks, not, not any, any kind of risk, a godly risk. Because think of it, if you never take a risk, you never fall in love. If you never take a risk, you'll never make a new friend. If you never take a risk, you never go into business for yourself. We, we bring a grin, a smile to our master's face. And we say, Lord, I know that all that I have comes from you. And so I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to let it paralyze my soul, but I'm going to live in gratitude to you. I'm going to trust in your love and the abundance and the riches of your grace to give more of myself, more than may even make sense to you in order to build your kingdom. The uh, Presbyterian pastor, author, John Ortberg, tells a story about playing his grandmother Monopoly when he was a little boy. And grandma, in case you're wondering, was just ruthless when it came to Monopoly. They would play these marathon games, you know how Monopoly is, that would go on for hours. And each was determined to win the battle of wits between these two Monopoly moguls. And property changed hands, and the one with the upper hand would gloat. Of course, the greatest thrill, you know, was to be able to put hotels up on Park Place and Boardwalk. And if you have ever played the game, and you probably have had this happen to you, if someone that you're playing with lands on Park Place and Boardwalk, and you own them. Now, they land on Park Place, and once you know, they roll snake eyes, they, roll on, they land on Boardwalk. It's like, oh, they have to hand over their deeds. They have to mortgage their assets. They have to give all their money over you. You wipe them out financially. It's the greatest feeling in the world. And yet, no matter how thrilling the victory, at the end of the game, John Ortberg's grandmother would scoop up those greenhouses and those red hotels. She would put away the play money, and then she would say, it all goes back in the box. And if you think about it, life is a lot like Monopoly. We scheme, we strategize, we plan. If we play the game right and well, the money rolls in. If we're really successful, who knows? We may have our very own park place, our very own hotel. Along this path of success, we may be respected and admired and even looked upon with awe and wonder and fear. Why? Because we're monopoly moguls. But you know what? John Ortberg's grandmother was right. No matter how much earthly wealth we accumulate, no matter how much success we have, in the end, it all goes back in the box. And you want to hear a blunt truth from me this morning? In the end, when our bodies die, it's going to go in a box. As Christians, we prepare for that in two ways. One, by accepting Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And secondly, by using our talents to the glory of God. Sacrificial giving means giving that is motivated out of a love for Jesus Christ. Because it's on the cross that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us and our salvation. And so, friends, all that we are and all that we have comes from God. And you see, we've got this really, really, really small window of time in which to use it. So be bold. Take a risk. 
take a godly risk. Bring a twinkle to your master's eye. Be a good and faithful servant. Do something creative and exciting for God. And may our living be nothing less than the giving of our very best. With that, I invite you to join me in prayer. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, you do remind us that in the story today, you're not just our constant companion, but you're also our inescapable conclusion. We know that each of us is going to have a face-to-face with you someday in which you're going to review with how we use with what you gave us in this life. And so, help us to manage our portfolios wisely and generously. May we not be people who live for worldly success, fame, security, comfort, or the applause and affirmation of other people, but instead, may each of us live every day for those six wonderful words that we all will yearn to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.